So anyway, I can not have to watch myself give a Dharma talk with the current technology. But from this vantage point, I uh, I feel like I uh, resemble uh, photos I've seen of uh, Sawaki Kodo Roshi, who um, was pretty grim looking. So I I guess I think that's that's my vibe this morning. Oh, that's the way it goes. Now, yesterday, a, a Facebook friend uh, posted a, a quote from Suzuki Roshi. Which, which I think everyone recognizes, or some of you may. Uh, I don't know where this appears. Maybe it's in a Dharma talk of his. But it could have cropped up anywhere. Uh, he simply says, um, uh, though we are fond of them, uh, flowers will fall. And though we dislike them, weeds will spring up. So that was, of course, his uh, a slightly friendlier version of the, the uh, quote from Dogen's maybe in some ways, finest essay. Genjo Koan. So as you may remember, uh, Dogen makes this brilliant little summation of um, what was by then almost 2,000 years of Buddhist messing around. Recall that passage? Um, uh, in brief, and, and minus his poetic touch, he, he says, um, everything is Buddha Dharma.
Stern. I think that's pretty accurate. And then he says, however, what about uh, all that stuff concerning the absence of uh, persistent self-identity? So he says, so there isn't any Buddha Dharma. Well, he, he could stop there, but he doesn't. So then he says, however, the Buddha way is to be free of both of those poles, both of those extremes, both of those assertions. For there is Buddha Dharma back again. And then uh, he adds the um, the bit that Suzuki Roshi paraphrased. says, but in attachment, uh, flowers fall. But in aversion, weeds spread. In so doing, he, uh, he puts right in the center of the all-encompassing mandala he described uh, the uh, karmic engine that turns our world. We like them, flowers fall, and though we dislike them, there are weeds. And in uh, typical fashion, uh, 
Here's Dogen writing in, I don't know, 12, 1220 something. And by then, the custom of regarding our uh, treasury of Zen stories, those koans, are you thirsty this morning? And uh, knowing that there is a uh, substantial uh, constituency of um, Chan Buddhists who think that these uh, stories uh, need to be used in a way that is uh, involves energetic meditative practice. And those stories are known as koan or gongan in Chinese. And uh, here's Dogen in the title of one of his most celebrated essays, not using the word that way. So to speak, looking beyond the edifice of this story has uh, this word in it, this story has this phrase, and those are meant to be focused on. So he has that expression, Genjo, two Chinese characters. Which means something like, uh, with the usual, let's call it flexibility of interpretation that um, comes with Chinese characters. Gen means something like to, um, uh, to show up or be present. And Joe is something like, uh, I don't know, to fulfill, to complete. So the title means something like to, uh, fulfill and complete the koan. Except the koan is not some Zen story. Rather, it's the story of our human life. Which, of course, uh, unrolls moment after moment. Mm 
Therefore, any moment whatsoever is the time for Genjo Koan. to uh, show up, be present, and complete what is happening now. So, uh, nobody asked me, but from my point of view, this is uh, the, the brilliant and living nature of all of our Zen stories. It has nothing to do with this or that phrase or word or concentration practice. Each of those stories is an example of Genjo Koan and can be treated and studied as such profitably, although I should watch my steps saying something <laughs> like profitably. So I know a lot of people don't uh, regard the vast literature of Chan and Zen tales in that way, which I think is unfortunate. The uh, Indian analyst, um, James Hillman, fascinating writer. Uh, he was talking about another, but perhaps in some ways similar body of stories, namely um, the enormous expanse of human mythology. And um, he was saying uh, something like, although in nowadays people tend to dismiss mythology as the, the ramblings of, of primitive minds, and we've gone beyond that now with our grasp of science, etc. He, uh, not surprisingly, agrees with Carl Jung, saying that's a dangerous mistake. 
Instead, he says, uh, when uh, we are able to experience a, uh, a mythos, or I would say a koan, as happening in our own life. Then there's at least a chance we may find ourselves in the midst of a living mythos. Think whether you are in Jungian analysis or practicing Zen. Now, this is the uh, opportunity that presents itself, and this is the meaning of Ginjo Koan. So today, you could uh, toddle off home, get out your copy of Ginjo Koan, and just read it through. And notice any attempt you might feel to sort of push it away as, you know, too difficult or puzzling or even stupid, and instead, see if you could let it be telling you the story of your own life, moment after moment, in spite of unusual imagery and so forth. That unusual imagery comes from the same wellspring as every other human mythology. The uh, bottomless and unfathomable collective unconscious, as someone called it. Their party of my brief acquaintance who was teaching at UC Berkeley many years ago now assigned one of his own books for us to read, naturally. And somewhere in, I don't know, footnotes or bibliography or something, he refers to. Uh, the notion of the collective unconscious as, quote, an intellectual monstrosity, unquote. I, I was offended by that on behalf of 
Raphael, who was long gone, but still. Particularly in that the person who made that claim was, I'm afraid, a Nazi. So anyway, as one of my favorite YouTube people says often, but I digress. <laughs> so you can ignore most of what I said this morning and Uh, go home and enjoy the Genjo Koan as the story of your life as it has been is now and will continue to be done Maybe you will find yourself in the midst of a living mythos. Because if a mythos isn't living, it's not very important. I very clumsily tried to make this point at the Association of Sotos and Buddhists conference some weeks back. But I failed. I introduced what I was saying by uh, admitting that I was going to sound like a country bumpkin. And in the end, that was all anybody heard was the country pumpkin part. So, okay, well, never mind. Do you have some question?
One point of clarification. Building's actual words are within aversion, flowers fall, and within attachment, weed spread. Is that correct? I could not say. I That's not one of the common translations. Well, how is it normally uh, translated? The most, I guess, very frequent one is with attachment. Uh, or, yeah, in attachment. With or in attachment. So what uh, grammatical expression is there, I couldn't say. Okay. But something like that. Well, what, what I'm wondering is, is words, whatever they may be, if what they're expressing is that in the actual act of grasping for some experience, the experience essentially disintegrates. I mean, in that, in that, it, the 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 constituent parts of the experience actually come apart in the process of trying to cling to it as a something, something substantial, and the obverse for uh, aversion for the uh, for aversion, yes, and within within actually being averse to something. Then it's going to basically come back and bite you in the ass. <laughs> Something along this line. Well, um, uh, placing that comment as he does, right after his succinct digest of human life and all Buddhist practice, suggests to me that he's saying. There isn't any escape from this. Hmm. This is the 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 frictionless bearing at the middle of the wheel of our existence. And until we are greatly enlightened, that wheel will continue to turn and drag us with it around and around. So, I think what he's suggesting is, in the midst of that turning, practice as though every moment were, in fact, a Dharma door. And reject our tendency to, uh, you know, complain that, well, Buddha lived so long ago, and it's all so hard, and Never mind that stuff. Just practice as though what I had just described is accurate. And if you do, what will your life be like? What will be revealed to you if you practice that way? And then the essay, of course, goes on to uh, extend an even more elaborate invitation to practicing that in that fashion.
every moment a Dharma door. I guess kind of what I was getting at was that it's not a matter of being sequential, right? First, I have attachment, and then flowers fall. Uh, well, I mean, is, pretty, that, is that too fine of a point to make? or Well, it's pretty common in our experience. In our experience, that first, there's some attachment. Like, uh, you know, oh, isn't that lovely? Or isn't that sweet? Or isn't this nice? And then we feel the tug of attachment. Or isn't this, isn't this dreadful? Isn't this horrible? Let's get rid of this. There it is again. So this is the revolving of our life over and over again around that motor. Call it attachment or whatever you like, but that's how it works. So Dogen's brilliant teaching is how to live in the midst of that in a way that is, well, I hate to say it, liberating. Then he goes on at great length to tell us how that's done. He basically does that in all of his essays. Whether he's saying, I don't know, he also says, in his, you know, another phenomenal essay, the one called uh, Uji or Being Time. Because sometimes a 16 foot tall golden body. Uh, sometimes, uh, whatever he says, six heads and eight arms. Sometimes Buddha, or sometimes a demon. Round and round. Okay, well, let's take care. This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org.